so thrilled and blessed to have uh, uh, Reverend uh, David and Wanda Ellis with us. Amen. And uh, just so looking forward to this service. It's an annual event. Um, last year they couldn't come. The devil attacked Sister Wanda, and they had to get home as soon as they could to, to uh, deal with that. And but uh, that COVID, <laughs> we we've all had some kind of a, a touch of it or whatever. But it can be really tough, and you want to jump on it if it uh, comes. So uh, thank God that she's healed and whole and here with us. Amen. And and um, so I, I got a couple of stories to tell you about the Ellis's. Um, past, pastor David was my was the second my second pastor in my life. My first pastor was my father. I was born in Thomasville, Georgia, and uh, I think I was born on Friday, and I was on the pew on Sunday morning. Mother brought me and got in there and had because you know she's the pastor's wife. She has to teach the Sunday lady Sunday school class and play the piano. So uh, mother brought me and left me on the pew. I've been on the pew ever since. I've said uh, I've been in church my entire life. It's affected my mind <laughs> in a good way. Thank God. <laughs> Amen. I'm better off for it. Uh, so we moved from there to uh, Augusta, Georgia, and my dad was still my pastor. We moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and got a new pastor. Praise the Lord. Pastor David uh, Ellis was my first pastor other than my dad at the Dakota Street Church of God in Albuquerque. And um, and so uh, thank God for that. You know, and I, we, we, I was in a, we were in a district rally. If you've never been to a district rally, it's okay. You haven't missed a whole lot, but we had these district rallies. Now, you'll remember how, how often we had them. I don't know, but we had a district rally in, in Roswell which is home of the uh, aliens and uh, extraterrestrials now. But anyway, we were there in Roswell at a church, and uh, Brother David was preaching, gave an altar call for salvation. I was eight years old, and I went down and made Jesus Lord of my life. Say, man, praise the Lord. You know, you can decide to do that at eight years old. I had somebody tell me I, were, I really was never saved because I was saved before the age of accountability. I don't know where they got that from because I was also filled with the Spirit before the age of accountability. So later in Iowa, my dad was a state overseer, in, first in New Mexico and then in Iowa, and we moved there. And uh, when I was 10 years old, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues, praise God, after a torturous session at the altar. They reloaded the choir a couple times. You run out after they played glory, 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 somebody touched me. Must have been the hand of the Lord. I, was, uh, I, I don't know if I always liked the words to that. What, well, who else could it have been? I don't know. Let's think about who it, you know. Yeah. So uh, I got filled with the Spirit, spoke in tongues, and was almost like, thank God that's over with. I no longer get beat in the back and told, you know, hold on, turn loose. One lady got in my ear, is there any sin in your life? It would keep you from, at 10, is there any sin in your life that keep you from being filled? I couldn't think of anything horrendous I had done at 10 yet. Uh, one thing about some of the sisters that helped you pray through in those days is they didn't believe in nair, so they had a mustache. 
And uh, sometimes my Frenchie gets near me, and I'm thinking it's one of those sisters again, uh, trying to, you know, see what see what sin I've committed to not be filled. <laughs> anyway, I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And later, we went back to Augusta, Georgia. My dad was a pastor and had a special speaker in, um, Brother Veth Ellis, who was my dad's friend and um, he, Brother David's father. And he pastored here in uh, in the Tampa Bay area for many years uh, in uh, Indian Rocks Beach. I think they changed the line now. It's Lar- call it Largo, but it used to be Indian Rocks Beach. And... Um, Brother Vet pastored there at Harvest Temple. We have the hymn, hymnals from Harvest Temple in this church. Um, the um, some of the the blonde ones, the the new ones, the unanointed new ones. That's how we felt. The first one, Brother Vet was the collaborator on the church hymnal, Redback hymnal, and so uh, he came to Augusta and uh, preached a meeting at my father's church. And introduce the heretical doctrine that you could pray in tongues at will. He got this from that other heretic, Oral Roberts in Tulsa. And uh, I'm being facetious if you can't figure that out. So uh, Brother Roberts started teaching uh, what the Apostle Paul said. I, I, I pray in the spirit and I pray in the understanding. I will pray. And he said, if you haven't spoken in tongues since you got filled, you need to get down here. Well, you know, the majority of that church came down there. They had gotten the same experience I had had. Now, mine was only about two years old, but I had spoken in tongues and thought, I've got it, and that's it. Leave me alone. Uh, it was such a painful process to get. And so I got filled, and, and, and no one had really taught much on that. But Brother Vet was preaching that. And I went down on that altar call, too. Any Ellis altar call I got in on. <laughs> and uh, so I went down and, and um, uh, was instructed and taught, you know, by Brother Vep how to pray in tongues at will and been praying in tongues ever since. Amen. Thank God that uh, the entire full gospel movement kind of got with the program with that. So anyway, this family has been a tremendous influence on my life, and I'm always grateful. And uh, I made it a point. I went to I went to Brother Vep's funeral in Tulsa, and what was it? Twenty twenty five years later, your mother passed away. I went to her funeral, and uh, and to uh, it really affected me, you know, because these people had had such an influence in my life. Anyway, that's enough said at that. Uh, please don't bring your chihuahua to church with Brother David because he will bust you and make you leave. That was That's part of my story as well. Um, but without further taking up time, Brother David, would you come? And they're going to bless us with a song and, uh, and uh, more. Do whatever you want. Sing tap dance, tell horrible stuff about me now. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord for all the realities of life. It's so good to be with you this morning. It's good to be anywhere this morning, amen? And uh, 
David had to mention going to my dad and mother's funeral. I'm not planning on you being at mine anytime soon. Okay. And lest I forget, which I frequently do, I do have some books here this morning. Uh, they're $10 a piece, three for 25 Take checks, cash, credit card, debit card. I, and the reason I'm doing that because I always forget to do it, and then I have to do it at the end. Um, actually, these are all the books I have left, period. I've written 14 books, and I've got about 20 left of the whole because I don't want to end up by years of not traveling with hundreds of books on a shelf and no word. So I'm thinking of writing another couple of books, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Now, since the stories have been told, uh, it seems impossible that it's been 60 years. Um, I don't even feel like I'm that old, but I guess I am. And it's so good to see Sister Jerry because uh, we have been... Like, you know, for 60 years, we've been very, very close. By the way, glad to have Art Davis and his wife visiting with us this morning. They, we've got a, uh, casual, long-time acquaintances, friends, going way on back. They used to attend a church. My dad pastored in Tampa, Sulphur Springs, and I went to Buffalo Avenue. And I was born on Buffalo Avenue before it became Martin Luther King Drive. And that was a few years ago, be, this coming Thursday will be 85 years ago that I was born on Buffalo Avenue. But uh, Sister Jerry, we had, uh, Doc and Jerry and one and I had been to Lee College for uh, teen day or something, I don't know. And on the way back, we stopped at uh, a motel in uh, Mississippi, and we checked in, and all of a sudden, Jerry jumped up in the middle of the bed and started jumping up and down. And she said, I've always wanted to do this. My kids have done it, and I just want to know why they do it. This is a whole lot of fun. And then we went through Wichita Falls, Texas, which is my wife's hometown, and that's where our son, Vip, had stayed. And we hadn't been there but a few minutes till Doc got a phone call from Georgia. His brother was in the hospital, and he had to fly back to Georgia. And Wanda decided she's going to stay at her mother and daddy's a few days. So Jerry and I drove from Wichita Falls, Texas, back to Albuquerque. Which is not a good thing, you know, when a, a man and a woman who's not his wife riding down the highway, uh, several hundred miles. And she said, <laughs> she said, it'll be our luck when we get to the, the house, which is also the state parsonage. There'll be some preachers there wanting to see Doc. And sure enough, when we drove in the driveway, there was three preachers standing in the driveway waiting to see the state overseer and me and Jerry got out of the car. <laughs> that took some explanation too. But, uh, and then yeah, there was an occasion at church one night in Albuquerque. We were all around the altar praying, and it was a beautiful, sunshiny day, and we suddenly heard thunder roaring, and I thought, I didn't know it was going to rain, and it just kept thundering. 
and I noticed it was coming from behind me. And Brother David and my son, Vip, they were in the baptistry, the steel baptistry, shouting. <laughs> and it was thundering all. And I went back, and as I got a, and as, I, as David walked out, I popped him on the backside. And as Vip walked out, I popped him on the backside. And when David came out the door, the way he said, Brother Ellis whipped me. Real. <laughs> so I think he's a little he's a little too big for me to do that now. But thank God for some humor in our lives. I don't understand people who never have any humor. You can tell by looking at them who they are. Uh, th- there's enough there's enough sadness and sorrow and misery in the world. And we can choose whether to live in that world or to live in a better world. And we've all lived in some real troubled times the last few years. And I, uh, a year ago, Saturday before we, we were to preach in Atlanta, I had tested positive for COVID earlier in the week. Got up Saturday morning, and she said, I got a sore throat. I said, oh, dear Lord. And so I went and got a test, and she tested positive. And the doctor that told me I was tested for positive never said I had COVID. He said, I'm not telling you you've got COVID. I'm just telling you you tested positive for COVID. And uh, so we went home. And this past February, Walter and I both had a cold and went to the doctor. And she said, did you get tested? I said, no, I'm not going to get tested because if I do, I'll have COVID. And she said, you're right, you've got a cold. And, and you know, for years prior to COVID, there was, we had always had 250, 300,000 people every year die from the flu. But since COVID has come out, nobody's died from the flu. You can have a motorcycle accident and you die from the flu. Cold, COVID, and you have a heart attack, you had COVID, and, uh, and I, I will tell you this, and this is, uh, there was a Christian in China who dared to witness to one of the doctors, a lady doctor, who worked in the Wuhan lab. And when she became a Christian, she had to confess and admit that COVID was developed in the, that Wuhan lab as a biochemical weapon. And she said, there are more to come. And a couple of weeks after that, I don't know if this was the same doctor or not, but there was a female doctor who tried to leave China, and she's never been heard from since. We're living in a time when it looks like there's no hope. But with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there's always hope. And I'm not going to give up on America, and I'm not going to give up on the church, because the power of God is still alive and well. We're going to sing a song that uh, actually some of you who were here when this was Harvest Temple North, were you here back then? I remember some of you folks... But this was one of the songs that my dad wrote when he was pastoring Harvest Temple. And uh, when he went there, they had 50 in church. Three years later, they had an auditorium that would seat 2,200. 
and it was filled. But, uh, you know, people say, well, I don't like big churches because they're not friendly. But Dad was determined to have the friendliest big church you could possibly have, and he did. When you went to that church, I'm telling you, there was at least 50 or 60 people would shake your hands and welcome you before you got a chance to even figure out where the men's room was. But he wrote this song to bring about togetherness at the church, and the song is titled Together. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to sing it one time, and then you're going to sing it. Together, together, why can't we all get together? When we're close to Him, I am close to you. That is why we all should get together. You got it. See, that's the first time he's heard it, but he knows the signal, so we better do it. And many of you never heard that song before. That's the reason I told you to listen. You've already heard it once, so you, and it's not that hard to learn. Together, together, why can't we all get together? When we're close to him, I am close to you. That is why we all should get together. See, there's a sermon there. In life, we kind of get scattered. But when we come close to Him, we're naturally closer together. And that's a good thing. Together, together. Why can't we all get together when we're close to Him? I am close to you. That is why we all should get together. And there's one more thing Dad would teach the church. Scarlett, would you come up here, please? Do what we do together. Find somebody to get together with. Yeah. Lock. Together, together. Why can't we all get together? When we're close to Him, I am close to you. That is why we all should get together. Well, together, together. Why can't we all get together when we're close to Him? I am close to you. That is why we all should get together. Isn't that, isn't that fun? Now, I want to tell you, you may be seated, this song could save a marriage. If you start having a fuss, just start together, together. When I was a kid, I had three brothers and a sister, and they were really hard to get along with. And frequently we would have fights and fusses and scrambles and what have you. And after Dad got through blessing our backside, he would instruct us to go hug each other and tell each other we Loved them. I'd rather get a beating any time. 
than to go hug my brother and tell him I loved him when I just got in a fight with him. But if your kids get in a fight, all you got to do, together, together. And it changes things. It really does. And my, 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 how churches need to get together. Local, The local church needs to get together. We talk about our differences so much sometimes we forget what we can agree on. And then we definitely can't get along with the Baptist church down the street because they don't believe in the baptism. And Presbyterian church, they're kind of way out there. And the Methodists, they don't know what they believe. And the Catholic, you know, we just, we, but we need to get together because we're all God's children. And I've said this frequently and I've made some people mad, but that's okay. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that we were all wrong. I mean, we may have been partially right, but we're not exactly perfectly right yet. And it's not going to, it's going to be kind of unpleasant to find out Church of Christ folks made it. When I pastored in Pennsylvania one Sunday, I, I, uh, I said, with all the, all the Catholics in the congregation stand, and over half of my congregation were former Catholics. I was shocked. But if we just get together, and if Americans would get together, we'd have a better America. And I, if you don't, if you don't like our country, get out of it. And don't come to our country that's the best country on this planet and try to make it like yours. Uh, you know, I, uh, I know those of us who are over 50 cannot imagine that we would have ever lived in a nation that has always been so blessed as it is today. But God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Thank you, Brother David and Wanda. I'm so glad my wife is... She fell a a year ago and broke her hip. And we were in Mexico, south of Cancun. Went to a resort. This was our 17th trip to the same resort. We got there at 5.30, went to eat at 7. Got there at 3.30, got in the room at 5.30, went to eat at 7.30. At 11.30 that night, it was raining. And when we waked in, and she put her shoes off and she slipped into some water Fell and broke her hip. Friday morning, we're in the hospital in Cancun. The doctors x-rayed her and determined that her hip was broken. And I said, I've got to get her home. That was the most stressful day I have ever experienced in my life, to get out of Mexico back to the States for surgery. And he said, there's only one way I will allow her to go back, and that's she's got to get a first-class Non-stop flight from Cancun to Dallas. There was only one. And first class is not cheap, but when you get it at the last minute, it's not cheap at all. But God. We got home Saturday morning, got back to Atlanta about 9.30, got her to the hospital in Denton, Texas. She had surgery Sunday morning, and uh, she's walking. Praise the Lord for that. 
And I, I will tell you another part of this because it's spiritually significant. Our flight out of Cancun was at 7.58. At 4.30 in the morning, they gave her a nerve block so that she would not feel anything on the way home. Got to the airport by ambulance at a quarter till six, I believe it was. The ambulance backed up. The guys were there with a wheelchair to take her to put her on the plane. And the lady came out from Delta, I mean from American Airlines, and said, I cannot let her board the plane until I get a written document that she needs to be on this flight. It's 35 to 45 minutes back to the hospital to get it, and then you can't do that from that time and leave at 7.58. The poor girl who was driving the ambulance, she frustrated. She didn't know what to do. And I knew the doctor was not up because I saw him at 11.30 that night before, so I know he's home in bed. So I told the lady, I said, if she can get this and can she email it to your phone? And she said, oh, yeah, that would work. So anyhow, they got the doctor up, wrote the document, emailed it or texted it to her phone. And she got it. Time is slipping away and slipping away. So I thought that was it. And then she came and she said, Mr. Ellis, I cannot let her board the plane unless I talk to the doctor personally. Then it came into my spirit. This word says that the Holy Spirit will pray for us when we don't know how. And the wall of the airport was about that far away, and I went over against that wall, and I began praying in the Spirit. A minute later, the nurse, I mean, the, the lady from the airlines tapped me on the shoulder. She said, oh, Mr. Ellis, everything is okay. Bam, 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 bam. I don't know whether she talked to him. I don't really know. I don't even care. All I know is that God took care of the whole situation, and we got on the plane. But I would advise you, don't break your hip in Mexico. I, a few weeks ago, we live in a little small town in Oklahoma. It's called Thackerville. And in the recent census, we were up to 788 people. And now a few more people have moved in, so we might be up to 800. And the world's largest casino is two miles from us. And it is the world's largest casino. It's hundreds of acres. But there's more cars in the parking lot than there are people living in our little town. There are three churches, the First Baptist, the First Methodist, and a little congregation that originally was a church of Christ. And they made the stupid mistake of inviting a Pentecostal group to join them. Now it is a Pentecostal church. The Pentecostal pastor and Pentecostal congregation. And you can hear people praying in tongues and praising God and hallelujah. There's guitars and drums and the whole ball of wax in the church, what used to be the Church of Christ, and the former Church of Christ pastor sitting right up here with both hands raised, praising the Lord. Hallelujah. 
there was a lady who went forward and asked for prayer for her brother who was seriously ill and he had so many complications that they couldn't operate for one thing because of the other. And the Lord just spoke to my spirit and said, it's never too late for God. And when she came back, I told her, I said, Judy, Lazarus told me to tell you that it's never too late for God. Now, obviously, Lazarus didn't tell me that, but I'm sure he would say that. It's never too late for God. And then I began thinking about that, and I could not help but uh, get this sermon together. Yeah, there's a lot of doom and gloom in our nation, but it's never too late for God. There's a lot of confusion in our homes and our communities and and our churches, but it's never too late for God. There's a lot of sickness and disease, and we even come up with new ones from time to time, And but it's never too late for God. And so that's my message this morning, that it's, it's never too late for God. And I want to read from John chapter 11, up from beginning with the 39th verse, about Lazarus. And I... <laughs> I like to read the Bible, and I like to talk to the Bible, about the Bible, in ways that I understand, in ways that other people won't understand. And so, I want to tell the story about Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus. Now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were real, real good friends of Jesus, Back when he would be coming through their town, he would come and spend a couple of nights with them and dine with them, and they were really, really close. But uh, Jesus was in a revival a few miles away down at uh, Tarpon Springs, and uh, Lazarus was dying, and so Martha, being who she was, Martha was the one of that like to be in charge of things and tell people what to do. And I've pastored a few Marthas in my day. I've only been married to one. But Martha, was, uh, she was thinking, she said, now Jesus is just right over yonder. And he's real close to us, and I know he loves Lazarus, so I'm going to go get him and bring him back so he can take care of Lazarus. And so she busybodies herself, and she goes over to Newport Richie, and she finds Jesus and speaking to the crowd, and she goes up to him and says, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, my brother, is dying, and you need to come over to holiday and take care of him. And Jesus said, Okay, I'll be there. And she said, no, I mean now. And the Lord said, no, I'll, I'll be there. Just go on back to the house. I'll, I'll be there. And I'm sure that as Martha was making her way back home, she was fussing. She was angry. I thought he was a good friend of my brother's. No, he's so busy doing what he's doing. He doesn't have time to come take care of my brother. He's going to stay over there with those heathens and preach to them for a while. Because that was just Martha's nature. When she wanted something done, she wanted it done right now. Days passed, and 
The disciples, they've also been thinking about what Martha might be thinking about and about Lazarus and his condition. And so 30, they, they say to the little master said, Lord said, don't you know Lazarus is probably dead, but now he said, no, he's just asleep. Yeah, sure. He's asleep. 39th verse. Jesus said, take you away the stone. He goes over there and he's in the cemetery and he take, says, take away the stone and Martha. The sister of him that was dead said to the Lord, by this time, he stinks. If you would have come over here when I came and got you, we wouldn't be like we are today. And don't act like you've never said that to the Lord. Because every one of us has said things like that to the Lord. I said publicly, and, and I've said a few times later, there's some things about God I don't like. He never answers my prayer when I want it answered. And he never answers it the way that I told him to answer it. We all understand that, don't we? And this is what Martha's saying. What fool with it now? The man's been dead four days. He stinks. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe that thou but see the glory of God. More what a powerful message there is in that one scripture. I'm not going to preach it, but I just want to remind you. He said, how many want to see the glory of God? All you got to do is believe. Didn't I say unto you that if you just believe, you would see the glory of God? All you got to do is believe and you'll see the glory of God. And I can tell you, I'm anxious to see more of the glory of God. I, I want to see things happen like I've seen them happen in my past. I want to see that. All we got to do is believe, and he said, you'll see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, and here's another great sermon, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. The first thing Jesus said was, Father, I thank you that you heard my prayer. He didn't say, why didn't you do this or why haven't you done this? Father, I thank you that you've heard my prayer. And if we would start more of our repetitive prayers with, I thank you, Lord, that you heard me the first time, the second time, the third time, the hundredth time, I thank you that you heard me. And I know because you heard me, you're going to hear and answer my prayer. And I knew that thou hast, that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. And the Lord said, loose him and let him go. Now, first of all, the Lord did not have to yell with a loud voice. Again, he did it for their sake. The Lord didn't even have to say anything. Just by the Spirit, he could have spoken and Lazarus would have come forth. But so much of what Jesus did was for our benefit. 
And sometimes we need to just get loud. Because when you get loud, things happen to you. Years ago when Dad was pastoring in Suffer Springs and we were somewhere walking down a dirt road, me and my brother and a couple of the girls who were visiting with us, and we're just having a good time as kids, 10, 11, 12 years old, just walking down a dirty, sandy road, minding our business, and we passed by this house, and a German shepherd dog came running down the road, growling and barking, and, I mean, he was coming big time. And I'm 11 years old. I'm the big guy in the crowd. And my, I can tell you, my heart was pounding. I didn't want to get bit by a German shepherd. And when that dog got about as close as where pastor is sitting, here's what this stupid kid did. I said, get back to the house where you came from right now. And that dog tucked its tail and ran rock, 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 back up the road. And I thought, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> But what happened was, when I spoke it out loud, the adrenaline started flowing. And that dog sensed it from a little boy and turned and ran. Well, sometimes we need to shout loud enough that the spiritual adrenaline will start flowing through us. Our faith will rise up and the devil will hear us and tuck his tail and run back home. And so the Lord said, Lazarus. Come forth. And Lazarus didn't say, huh, who would that be? And he didn't walk out. He floated out because his body was wrapped with grave clothes. He couldn't see. He couldn't walk. When it looks impossible, God can do the impossible. If we will do what he tells us to do. Nobody carried Lazarus out. But when the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus decided he would. And he did, even though he couldn't and it was impossible for him to do it. He did it anyhow. And God will enable us to do what seems to be absolutely, totally impossible. If we'll just do what he tells us to do. Get up and move. It's never too late for God. Now, I can tell you that's possible because I was raised from the dead when I was 15 years old. I had a blood clot on the brain. Dad was preaching a camp meeting in Hawaii. Mother was with him. And we're in Tennessee by ourselves. And I'm in a hospital. I was in a coma for eight and a half hours. I had severe convulsions. And sometime in the early hours of the morning, and I wish I could tell you the whole story because it was a move of God, but my pastor standing at the foot of my bed, and he watched me die. And he stood there, and he committed my soul into the hands of the Lord and turned to walk to go tell the nurse that I had died. And I woke up and said, where am I? And he said he liked to die. And I'm here. It's never too late for God. I know that every one of you, I know that every one of you have been praying for something or somebody or some hope or some dream for a long time. Have you done? 
I mean, it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. But don't give up. Because God has a plan and God has a timing that's far better than ours. I've been in ministry 66 years. And I'm the fourth generation of preachers in my family in the church of God. My son's the fifth. And I, I grew up, I grew up in, we had, we always had church. I mean, we had church. It was just church. Always. And I've been hungry for the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. I want, I want to see church again. I want to see church again. I want to see people come to the altar and, and, Weep and pray and cry out to God and surrender their lives and confess of their sins and become a child of God. I remember the first time that I ever saw a man slain in the spirit was at Sulphur Springs Church of God. I was sitting about where Pastor is and this man came to church that Sunday night and we all knew how bad he was because his wife was always test- asking prayer for the guy. He smoked, he drank, he was a bad dude. And Dad prayed for him, and he fell right out on the floor, right there, and just lay there like a dead man. And I'm sitting there, and I'm about 11 years old, and I'm looking at him. And I look at him. And I look at him. And after about 20 minutes, he gets up, and he testified. He said, the Lord just saved me. And to my knowledge, and his testimony for some time later, he never smoked again, he never drank again, he never did this again. Because when the Lord slays you, you go down one way and you come up another way. You don't have to get slain every service by every evangelist that comes along because God can do it in one time. You don't have to have a, a repeat session every time he comes along. I'm hungry to see those kinds of things take place again. Last February, in Kentucky at Asbury University, there was a group of young people who had been praying and asking God for a revival at Asbury University, which is the most liberal religious university in America. It's a Methodist school, but it's very, 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 very liberal. And they prayed for weeks. And one night as they were leaving, one of the young boys said, God just said, why not now? They've been praying for weeks. And the Lord said, why not now? You've been looking for it and waiting for it. Why not now? So they all turned around and came back to the altar, began praying, and revival broke out that has spread around the world, first in universities, and thank God even our own university, they went up to Asbury so they could have a revival. It's a shame that we have to go to a Methodist church to get a revival in our own university. But it happened. And it's beginning to spread into churches. Thank God for it. Auburn University a few weeks ago baptized 200 students on the campus at Auburn University. Pastor Greg Laurie in California about six weeks ago baptized 2,000 people. The line to be baptized was a half mile long at the ocean to be baptized. 
Mario Murillo during COVID, the Lord spoke to him to have a tent revival. And good-looking California governor told him he couldn't have a revival. And he said, well, my God told me to do it, and I'm going to do to it, and you do what you have to do. And he started having tent revivals, and he's been having tent revivals ever since. Alcoholics are being delivered. Drug addicts are being delivered. Homosexuals are being changed everywhere, all up and down through California because God is moving. Folks, I want to be a part of it where we are, not where it's somewhere else. I don't want to have to go to Asbury. I don't. I want to come here and have it. I want to go there and have it because it's available to us. It's never too late for God. Never too late for God. In the book of Exodus, there's a story about the children of Israel who had been praying for 400 plus years. You think you've been praying for a long time. Great-grandpa prayed for it. Grandpa prayed for it. Daddy prayed for it. I'm praying for it. 400 plus years, God, get us out of this miserable country and all this slavery and misery that we're in. Get us out, get us out, get us out. I won't tell you the whole story. You know the story. But he gets them out, and they're on their way. It's been said there could have been 5 million, as much as 5 million, or at least a million. So we'll just settle on a million people. And the population of Pinellas County is almost a million people. So you can imagine all the people in Pinellas County getting together in one bunch. Of course, we would have our cars, but they had their buggies and their wagons and their cattle. And there a million people getting out after all this time. And they get to the Red Sea. Mountains on one side, deserts on the other, Red Sea in front of them, and Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. And some of the church members started complaining because Pastor Moses got us out here. He got us out here to get us killed. He had he had to go borrow two hundred dollars, two hundred thousand dollars to remodel the church. Now we're going to go broke. You know, we've always had those people in our church that just always looking for the dark clouds to come flying in. And when this was happening, uh, Moses was a whole lot better gentleman than I am. Had it been me pastoring that bunch of folks and they were mumbling and grumbling and fussing and just had all the miracles that they've had, they're getting out, and now they're upset and complaining, I would have said, shut up! But if you look at the scripture, Moses said, be quiet. Just be quiet and watch God. A few weeks ago when Israel was attacked by Hamas, we went to church that next Sunday morning and the pastor got up and said, we need to pray for Israel. And I agree, we need to pray for Israel. And I went up to him and I said, Pastor, I know we need to pray for Israel, but I said, there's another side to this story. I said, we need to watch God because God's got something up his sleeve. God is not going to let anybody destroy his people. So, yeah, let's pray for them, but let's also begin praising God because of what God's going to do, and God's been doing it. Friday night, November the 19th, it hasn't been in our news, but it was. It happened in Gaza. They had one of the most major storms they've had ever. The pictures of it, was, of the lightning was just horrendous, huge storm.
flooded the tunnels. And the reporter said the Israelis were making plans to flood the tunnels, but God intervened and did it himself. So just watch God. Watch God when things look like it's going down the drain. Watch God. Moses said, just be quiet and watch God. And God said, stretch your hand across the sea. And you know the story. It parted. And a million people and all their cattle and everything will start scoring across the dry ground of the Red Sea. And the armies of Pharaoh's coming up behind them. And I'm positive that if I'd have been in the back, I'd have been saying, move it, move it, move it, because I want to get across. But just as they stepped on the dry ground, with Pharaoh and his armies also walking on dry ground in the midst of the Red Sea, are coming up on them, but just as the last person put his foot on the bank, the waters closed and destroyed Pharaoh and his armies. It's never too late for God. Then there's another story that I, like I say, I share these in my own way. In Daniel, old King Nebuchadnezzar, who declared himself to be the greatest king of all time, had an ego as big as an elephant and built a big statue of himself and called all the people together and said, whenever the the music starts playing. I want you folks to get on your knees and bow down to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, King Nebuchadnezzar. Music started playing. Everybody bowed except three stubborn, God-fearing, God-believing Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood tall. And there was a lady there kind of like Martha, I'm assuming, was peeking and she saw those boys standing, so she sent word to Nebuchadnezzar, We got three boys back here that didn't bow. So Nebuchadnezzar gives them another chance. Music starts playing and they still didn't bow. So he told them again, You better bow this time. We're going to fire up that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been, ever. We're going to burn your hide. And they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And they were anointed. They were full of faith and power. Hey, man, you just do whatever you say, but God's going to take care of us. So the music starts playing again, and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just stood tall. In their faith. So Nebuchadnezzar sent some big old boys back there to get them and take them to the fiery furnace. Now what I'm going to tell you is not scriptural. But I'm going to tell you, I know how people are. I know how I am. And I can just see as they're being carried toward the fiery furnace, Abednego said to Meshach, uh, this isn't exactly the way I thought this was going to play out. You ever done that before? I mean, you pray and believe about something and it gets worse. And Meshach said, me neither. Said, I, I, I really kind of expected the statue to just crumble and fall. I expected something spectacular. After all, our God is able to do. But the fire, is, it's, it's hot and we're on our way. And Shadrach said, I tell you what, boys, 
I still believe God can do this, but it's not looking good. I don't know when he's going to do it. Or how, I don't know how he's going to do it, but this is not what I had in mind when we joined hands back there and prayed, you know. They get to the fiery furnace, and the guys that threw them in the fiery furnace fell dead because the heat was so hot. And I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at each other, but just as soon as their feet hit the floor in the fiery furnace, there was somebody in there said, come on in, boys. I've turned the thermostat down to 68. We're just going to enjoy this a while. It's never too late for God. He does. Actually, I think sometimes he wants to do the things that look so impossible because it's a whole lot better than doing it the way we would have done it in the first place. I'm going to tell you a story, and it's a true story. But it's amazing how people don't believe me. Back in the 50s, there was a black lady in Detroit, Michigan, had a little boy. And when that baby boy was born, she said, God, I'm going to be like Hannah. I'm going to give my son back to you. I want him to be a preacher. And she named the boy Isaiah. And Isaiah grew up in Detroit, Michigan. He became a rebellious teenager, and he got involved in drugs. He became a drug dealer in Detroit and had his gangs, and he got so big in Detroit that he moved to Honolulu and became one of the big drug lords, bringing drugs from Eastern Asia to the United States of America. He was a big, driving the big cars, had all the girls, all the stuff, all the stuff that a guy could want. But one night in Honolulu, his gang, And another gang got in a gunfight. And Isaiah was shot multiple times and lay dead in the streets of Honolulu. Ambulance was called, picked up Isaiah and took him to the hospital, and he was announced DOA. A few hours later, they transferred Isaiah's body to the morgue in Honolulu. And the doctor in the morgue went through his possessions and found his wallet. And in his wallet, he found what appeared might be his mother's name and phone number. And so he called that number. And he said, is this Mrs. Reed? And she said, yes, it is. And he said, do you have a son named Isaiah? And she said, yes, I do. And he said, well, I'm Mr. So-and-so. I'm here in Honolulu. Your son is in the morgue, and I'm calling to find out what you would like for me to do with his body. Would you like for me to take care of it here, or would you like for me to send it back to Detroit? And she said, my son is not dead. And he said, ma'am, you don't understand. I'm looking at your son's body. He's been dead for hours. He has multiple wounds. And Mama said, put this phone to his ear. And he said, ma'am, you don't understand your son. She said, put this phone to his ear. So he did. And Mama said, Isaiah Reed, Jesus promised me you're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now get up from there in Jesus' name. And he didn't move. And the doctor said again, ma'am, you don't understand. 
your son is dead, and he's been dead for hours. If he were to come alive, his brain would be damaged. She said, put this phone to his ear. And he did reluctantly, and she again said, Isaiah, in the name of Jesus, get up from there. God promised me you're going to preach the gospel. Now get up in Jesus' name. And Isaiah got up in Jesus' name. I got a text from Isaiah a couple of weeks ago. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, when I tell that, something, nah, no, it's the truth. The first time I heard him give his testimony was in California. Then I had him come give his testimony at the church we pastored in Pennsylvania. And after the service, he said, Pastor, is there any advice you can give me about my testimony? I said, what? Yeah, there is. I said, if you can cut your testimony from an hour and a half down to about 45 minutes, you may not have to start raising the dead in church. And he said, you will. That's probably the best advice I've ever been given. But he's still alive. And he's been preaching the gospel for 30 years, which is impossible. He has no brain damage. There's nothing wrong because it wasn't science that brought him back. It was Almighty God that brought him back because Mama said, God promised me, and it's never too late for God. Story is told of a lady in the church in a church in San Diego, California. Had a teenage son. He became rebellious. He joined the Navy to get away from Mama and everybody else. And every time that Mama would go to church, she would raise her hand and ask the pastor to pray for her son to get saved. Every service, week after week, month after month, year after year, every service. I've had similar situations, and sometimes people get on pastor's nerves. We try not to act like it, but sometimes it shows. And I know that pastor, he knows before he can dismiss, she's going to stand up and request prayer for her son. Everybody in the church knows she's going to, there she is again. Well, they had a two-week revival, and it just so happened that her son's ship was coming back to port during that two-week revival. So when the revival started, she changed her, te- her prayer request, and her request now is, Pastor, pray that my son will get saved in this revival. Now, everybody's really getting, okay, Mama, you're all right. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Of the second week, every night, she requests prayer. Pray for my son to get saved in this revival. Now, a problem occurred because on Thursday of the second week, his ship sailed. But Mama gets up Thursday night and says, pray that my son will get saved in this revival. And her son's on the ship going away. She requests prayer Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, revival's over. 
The pastor's having the dismissal prayer for the last service, and Mama stands up. Pray that my son will get saved in this revival. Pastor prayed, and I'm sure he wasn't believing at all. But when he got through praying, the doors of the church opened, and in walked her son. He didn't stop to say, hi, Mom, but went straight to the altar, fell on his knees, and gave his heart to the Lord. Now, you know everybody was excited because, hey, we did it. No, you didn't do it. (laughs) You gave up on that prayer request years ago, you know. And I'm sure the pastor was the same way. But then the pastor asked if he'd like to say anything, and he said, I would. He said, as you know, our ship sailed Thursday. But mysteriously, we got a call from headquarters to turn the ship around and come back to port. And, of course, the the commander of the ship asked why, and whoever called said, I don't know. I was just told to tell you to come back. So they turn the ship around and bring it back to port because, Lord, I thank you that you have heard my prayer. <laughs> and if if God can turn around a United States of America government-owned Navy ship around because of one mama, God can do the same thing for each and every one of us. It's never too late for God. And in closing, there's a story in the Bible about Jesus. He's hanging on the cross, thief on one side and thief on the other. And it's, by reading between the lines, it's quite obvious that both of these thieves, young guys, had heard about Jesus because the one on this side was a smart mouth. And he said, hey, if you're who you say you are, why don't you get down and get us off too? The one on this side was a little bit different personality. Now, again, this is not in the Scripture, but this is the way it probably happened. Shut your mouth. You know who he is. He doesn't deserve what he's getting, but we do. And I kind of suspected this boy, and maybe his mother, daddy, might have been in the crowd who were standing there watching these three men die on a cross. And this one over here said, Master, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Never too late for God. And God said what? Today. You will be with me in paradise. And so my message to all of us today is simply, it's never too late for God to do what needs to be done. Would you stand? And what I want you to do, I just want you to come up here and let's close in prayer because, like I said, I know you've been praying about some things for a long time. So let's just come down here and pray. Some of you have been praying about your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And I don't know how we've done it, but we've got two great-great-grandkids. 
It's kind of startling to think that my grandson is a grandpa. And I've got a granddaughter and a grandson that need the Lord in a bad way. I've got one that's serving the Lord. And the youngest one who's I thought would probably be the turn out to be the best one of all is the meanest one of all. Been in prison several times. You know, my granddaughter was fifteen. We were in revival and she brought one of her classmates to the altar to get saved. And my granddaughter was filled with the Holy Spirit that night and spoke in tongues for two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. She had never seen my mother worshiping God, but it was just like my mother. She was groaning in the Spirit, moving just like my mother. I tell you, it was a glorious moment. And I walked up to her and said something in English, and she looked back at me. She couldn't even speak in English. She's just speaking in tongues to me. And she needs to do that again. And I want to see it. I want to, I want to see that again. I want to see, and, and sometimes bad things have to happen for it to happen, but if that's what has to happen, so be it. But our churches were not built for a few people. Our churches were built for a lot of people. And a lot of people are out there trying to avoid coming to places like this. But it's never too late for God. But don't you want to see a move of God like you like you remember? I want to see people delivered. I mean, delivered. They don't have to get off of it. They just get delivered. I want to see bodies that were crippled and torn and twisted spontaneously straightened up by the power of God. God's the same. And I just want to tell you again, I don't care what you've been praying about. I know pastors been praying about things. I, that's just our nature. We pray, and and sometimes we wonder, God, have you ever, have you paid any attention to what I've been asking you about? But God is able, and God wants it to happen more than we want it to happen. We just have to put ourselves in a position for God to move through us. So just close your eyes for a moment and just talk to the Lord about what you've been praying about for a long time. Looks like it may never happen, but it's never too late for God. Just remind Him again, thank you, Lord, for hearing me the first time. I know that you've heard me. Lord, I'm so anxious to see this happen and that happen. I'm hungry, Lord, to see these things come to pass. Lord, I pray for Pastor David and Scarlett as the leaders of this body that those things that they've been praying about will just suddenly just start happening. And the things that these precious people have been praying about, some for years, will just start happening. And Lord, it will be for our benefit, but it will also be for testimonies for other people to hear. It will strengthen them and encourage them. 
So, Lord, I'm just asking you this morning to pour your spirit about all the flesh that is in this room. Meet the needs of this body of believers so that we will be strengthened from our experiences. Others will be renewed and they'll be able to share new testimonies to other people. That's what you gave your life for. And we believe it. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Say praise the Lord. How about let's do it real loud. Like, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, that just kind of lifts your spirits up a little bit. Sometimes, can I really talk that loud? Yeah, you can. Hallelujah. Praise God. I had a pastor friend. He was much older than me. But when he prayed, he prayed loud. Loud. And he's having a revival one day, and he and the evangelist was praying together, and the evangelist was like me. He was just praying quietly. And and Brother Rampy was disturbing him with all of his loud praying. And finally he said, Brother Rampy, God's not nervous. He said, God's not deaf. He said, no, and he ain't nervous either. He said, pray. But pray in however God leads you to pray. God bless you. Love you. So good to see you. Hope to see you again, again, and again, and again. God bless you, Dave. Sing this song. My God can do anything, anything, anything. My God can do He made this earth with all of its fullness, and all that time shall bring, my God can do anything. Let me tell you briefly about how that song came to be written. Dad was having a revival in Cincinnati, Ohio. And on Saturday night, as he was praying, he said, Lord, I want to see 50 souls in the altar in the morning. And as soon as he said it, he said, no, 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 not in the morning. Because back in those days, we didn't allow people to get saved on Sunday morning. That was high church. You had to come Sunday night. That was evangelistic service. And the Lord said, you didn't ask for that. I did. And so Dad said he spent a very sleepless night. Fifty souls on Sunday morning. So Sunday morning he preached his sermon, gave the invitation, and people started coming. Finally, there was 49 people in the altar. And Dad was getting excited. We're getting almost there. Suddenly, two men stood up. And Dad's first thought, he said, was, oh, no, we got too many. So two men started walking down the aisle. This one made it, but the one that was coming down there, he didn't make it to the altar. He fell on his knees in the aisle and got saved back yonder. And on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, 50 souls were saved in the Lord's house on Sunday morning. On their way back home, mother was with him. 
On the way back to Cleveland, Dad was riding along. He said, Pat, if God can save people, 50 people on Sunday morning, He can do anything. And that's how this song came to be written. My God can do anything, anything, anything. My God can do anything. He made this earth with all of its fullness. And all that time shall bring, my God can do anything. 